Good morning, everybody. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And this morning, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 45. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Please be seated. Andrew, Rachel, and family are out on vacation, so we're filling in. Uh, and I'm going to, I had a lot of fun actually prepping this section of scripture. But um, yeah, as we continue, if you're visiting, we go through books of the Bible, and we're continuing on here through Luke. And I'll just start off by saying that um, Kristen and I went to the movies a couple months ago, and uh, there was like 37 previews. You know what I'm saying? No, there was like probably, I don't know, six previews. Six trailers before we got to the movie. FYI, I haven't been to the movies in a while. FYI, you can go like 45 minutes after the starting time to actually see your movie. But um, what was strange to me was that out of, say, six trailers, four of them uh, were about demon possession and the paranormal and all, like trailer after trailer after trailer four of them in a row of movies centered around um, horror films, centered around uh, demons and what they do to humans and all the crazy things that happen around that. And it was such a strange thing to experience for me because I thought, well, people are making these movies apparently because they make money. Like you, you, you don't get these things funded unless, and out into the theaters unless people are going to them. And I thought, how is this uh, entertaining? Um, and what I began to sort of, Christian and I were looking at each other like, man, this is weird. Uh, because I guess what's, what's happening is that in our culture, that whole realm or that whole world is sort of um, fantastic or imaginary or mythical or something. So that people are going to these movies and enjoying them and be, feeling afraid, but in a very limited way where they lay down in their bed at night thinking, ah, oh, it's basically all fantasy and imagination. But uh, having experienced some of these things in my own life, in real life, uh, in those around me, I didn't experience it that way at all. And I think uh, today we, we come to a story that could have been a scene in any one of those movies. And it wasn't born from the imagination of some writers and some directors and then get funded by Hollywood. It was actually just a village... Uh, you know, in the Middle East where Jesus happened to be alive and ministering and this whole thing uh, materialized. 
And I guess what I'm, one of the things I'm hoping for and was praying for in preparation is that in a culture that views this other world, this other side of things in a very sort of magical or mythical way, that in fact we would this morning have our aperture opened up to see life for maybe what it really is. Um, as in photography, right? You open up the aperture, more light gets in and you begin to see more about what's real in life and in our world. Um, I want, us, I want us to go through that together while also not bringing any fascination or particular focus on demons or that sort of thing because they are, in fact, unremarkable. Um, I want us to, however, without intimidation or fear, um, recognize that there are people in need, people who have spiritual needs in our community, in our state, in our, com- our country, that God might want us to participate in helping them to become free and to step into the life that God has for them. I, I want to keep us, that our, our perpetual fascination to be on the person of Jesus himself, our Messiah, our Lord and Savior. So, you know, he's, he's the one that should, that should have our focus and our hope rather than these other sideshow things that try to distract and take away from the glory of God. So maybe the Lord is going to use this time this morning to stir in you some greater faith um, and a greater focus on Jesus in your life than you've come to because we tend sometimes to operate just in terms of what's natural and normal. I want to pray for the sermon, but I also want to continue to pray for Israel together because a lot of the analysis and and people and all of the talk around it is very much like just a social or economic or cultural analysis, but it's missing uh, in many, in most cases in my experience so far, the, the paradigm, the lens of the kingdom of God and the spiritual realities. And if you read your Bible, the Old Testament, the thousands of years of history and context and focus on this area of the world that's influencing what's happening right now. So with that, let's pray. Um, Father, we come, I thank you for everyone who's here, everyone who's watching online this morning and and everybody in a different place and yet gathered together uh, before you and before the word just to come and learn and to to focus on you. And I pray that you would uh, expand our vision. I pray that you would stir our faith. I pray that you would cause us to see you uh, more clearly than ever. And we pray for um, what's happening in Israel and, and surrounding areas and even demonstrations in different cities around the world. We pray for those who are suffering, who are hurting. We pray for those who have lost people. We pray for the, the pain that is just you know, flaring up in so many lives in so many places. God, that you would come in, into this moment, into this place and bring hope and bring clarity that people would be meeting you powerfully in many different ways and scenarios. We pray that you would help to resolve what's going on. We pray that you would help to uh, bring wisdom and and tactics and insights. And we pray for the people who are trying to support uh, the innocent there with food and water. um, But God, most of all, above all this, we pray that your kingdom would come. That your kingdom would come. And that your will would be done on earth. Just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go. 37, verse 37 says, On the next day when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. This is a pretty common moment or a common scene for Jesus in those years. Uh, Every time he pulls away to go pray or to be alone or to, you know, do what he does and he comes out of that, there's always a crowd um, that follows him. And 
It just reminds me when I, when I go out, every time I go out, I get this crowd around me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, although when I go out with my daughter and my little dog Gideon, um, we have no peace <laughs> because everyone wants to talk to us and say hello, you know, that sort of thing. I can go out in Grass Valley or whatever and be fine, but um, I'm not famous, but I, I, I have heard from people who are and uh, it, does, it does get kind of tiresome to every time you go out, you just want to get a coffee or go get a pizza or whatever. It's just like always people and always things happening. And um, that happens to Jesus a lot, but he's very, he's very patient. He's very compassionate. This is a particularly difficult or a poignant moment for him because he's coming off of the transfiguration. So if you weren't here last week, we talked about this crazy scene on the mountaintop where he goes up there and all of a sudden his clothes are shining and God shows up, him, you know, God the Father shows up shows up and there's Moses and Elijah and there are all these things happening. God says, this is my son. Listen to him. And it's this thing. It's like a peeling back. It's like the heaven touching earth. And there's never been a better moment to see who Jesus really is and why he's there. And for the few people that experienced it, that's what they're coming off of. And they step down from all this context and this this clarity. And Jesus, renewed in his glorious purpose, comes down. And there's this crowd. And they're like, hey, you know, Jesus. And they all have different motivations for being there. We can see this in different stories throughout these gospels that People were there for maybe just the hubbub of it. Have you ever been in a city when there's like a street magician or there's like street magic happening? Anybody? No? Yeah, there's a scene on the street. Everyone's like, ooh, what's going on? There's like this kind of gathering. I think there's some people in this, in this crowd who are just there for that sort of thing. They've heard about the miracles. They've, maybe they're just thinking, maybe there's another free lunch here with the, with the fish and the low. I don't know. There's a whole, there's a whole range of things, right? I can tell you that no one is really seeing Jesus as he should be seen. You know, their culture isn't secular like our culture is, so they do have a lot of context about prophets and um, rabbis and, you know, just all sorts of things that are coming to play with this. But um, oftentimes, uh, we humans struggle with coming to God on our own terms and for our own reasons, hoping to get something from him while maybe losing sight of the fact that he is God. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the father didn't say, this is my son, get things from him, right? He said, this is my son, listen to him. And with those powerful words, he comes out and he hears this in verse 38. Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you, look at my son. I'm not going to read the whole thing like that because I can't do that. But you get the vibe. He's yelling. There's a noisy crowd and he's yelling. For he is my only child, and behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Wow, tough, 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 tough. Now, if you were were out and about, um, in town at the grocery store, you run into a friend, and they're like, man, my my son or my daughter is going through something, and they describe it to you like that. You know, like there's this convulsions, there's this yelling, and there's this foaming at the mouth, leaves them exhausted out of it for a couple days. What would you say to them? I heard a little hubbubs of it. You'd probably say, wow, it sounds like epilepsy. It sounds like you need, you need to see a doctor. Like, tell me about what the treatments, right? That, that would be a, a normal, natural, uh, and expected response. Um, 
maybe a, something happened in their brain, definitely a neurological condition. And, and so sometimes we come to the scriptures and, and we're tempted to reinterpret them on our own terms. And we say, well, he said a spirit seizes him, but he was a poor, uneducated man uh, thousands of years ago in a small town in the Middle East. He just wasn't aware of medical things and conditions and, and treatments. And, and now that we know after the Enlightenment and the modern medicine, we, know, we probably know what that is, right? We kind of interpret things that way and reinterpret it. Um, and so I'm going to just drop that there for a second and come back to this based on what Jesus says later and how he responds to what sounds like a medical condition. But before we get there, for those parents in the room, we can understand this man's boldness, can't we? I mean, it's one thing to advocate for yourself and keep fighting for if you have a condition or something happened in your life. It's one thing for you to keep trying to figure out what to do about it and get the right treatment and the right doctor and fight for that. But man, when it's your kid and you, and you just have that like... If you're a mom, some people call it mama bear mode, you know, and, or a dad just like going to bat for the kids and all this. There's this passion surrounding that. And so in, the, in his urgency and his desperation, in the middle of this noisy crowd, he starts yelling loud enough to catch Jesus' attention. And, and there's some lessons in there for us parents about prayer, I think. Because stuff happens with our kids and, and we sit there and we worry, worry, worry. And we lecture and we nag, and we scowl, and we do all the things we do as parents, but do we pray? Do we come with the same determination that this man did to bring our children before Jesus, to make sure that he's aware, and to passionately, you know, you know loudly in our hearts and in our prayer times, bring our kids before the Lord, to cry out on behalf of them, and what if it doesn't seem to be working? Because some of you are going to, if you're, if you're like me, half of you are like, yeah, I need to pray more. That's right, I do. I need to pr actually pray, pray, pray more for the kids than I do. And some of you are like, Ryan, I pray, I've been praying my guts out for years and nothing's happening. Well, listen to this, verse 40. And I begged your disciples, he finishes with this, I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Man, there's a lot built into this little verse, you guys. Um, I was having a lot of fun reading this, but it tells us so much. First, it tells us this. It tells us this dad wasn't just being bold in this moment. It tells us this dad, at some point, came and found the disciples that were going around and went to them with his son and said, I'm making effort to get out of, maybe he had to travel, maybe they came to his town, I don't know exactly. But he came and put his son forward and said, my son needs help. And it didn't work out. How disappointing it would have been that night for that dad, for that parent. You see, because other people were getting healed all around. Remember this? This is just the beginning of chapter 9. They go out and they're doing healings and dealing with demons and all kinds of things are happening. And this man took his son to these people and he said, ah, help us. And nothing happened. And maybe the whole thing triggered another episode in his son's life. And that night he's exhausted having gone through it again. And he's sitting there thinking, I don't, I don't understand why God didn't heal us. I don't know why God didn't help us. I just wanted my kid to have some freedom. I just wanted him to make some friends. I just wanted to let him go out of the house without having to worry about where he might fall down in the dust and go through this again. And it didn't happen. It could have turned his heart cold. 
Maybe you're in a spot like that. But rather than go down that road, he's back again. He's back again. He's at the front of the crowd and he is yelling above everybody. Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Let us be parents who pray for our kids like that. Pursue God and pursue Jesus for them. Reminds you of some teaching that's coming up in Luke. I'm kind of previewing this, but in Luke 11, Jesus is talking about prayer and he says, I tell you, there's a story about this guy's in bed and a friend comes and knocks and he says, I need some food. I have a visitor. And the guy's like, I'm not getting up, man. Go look somewhere else. But the guy keeps on and keeps on. And Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. The word impudence means not showing due respect for another person. What an interesting teaching on prayer. This man is shouting, Jesus! Jesus Jesus recognizes that he's pursuing, he's being impudent. He's like, he's going for this. Let us be that that kind of people who pursue things in prayer like that. It's Jesus' teaching. So that's one side of the coin that this verse 40 teaches us or reveals. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. The other is... Apparently, the disciples' attempt at this failed, was unsuccessful. Sort of strange to me. At the beginning of the chapter, again, I don't know if you got your Bible open, but if you go over to the top of chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over some demons, wait, nope, all demons to cure and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And in verse 6, it says, They departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Wow. So in the midst of them going around and watching God move powerfully in many cases, there were also some cases where their prayers yielded nothing. Where they weren't able to deal with certain situations. And I find their failure there oddly encouraging. Because... I don't know, maybe I'm sitting in a room full of spiritual giants, but there's times when I have prayed and nothing has happened. Anybody gone through that? Yes, nothing has happened. So the dynamics of faith and healing are sometimes mysterious and involve multiple factors. And I'm not just saying that in some ethereal way. Here's some examples from the scriptures. Luke 5, there's this scene where there's this cripple and his friends literally take apart the roof. You know the story. They take apart the roof and let him down in front of Jesus. And, wh- and he gets healed. And why did Jesus say that he got healed? And remember that story? When Jesus said, what? you're healed because of their faith. His friend's faith caused him to be healed. That's what he says specifically. It's their faith has caused you to be healed. In Matthew 9, there's this woman who pushed through the crowd and literally just reached out and grabbed the edge of Jesus' clothing and she got healed. And he turns around and is like, who touched me? Um, She got healed. Why did Jesus say that she got healed? Because of her faith. Her own faith is what healed her. Yet there's this other moment in Mark 6 where Jesus went to his own village there and where he grew up and it says that he couldn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So even Jesus himself, who has all authority, was affected by the lack of belief and faith around him. 
This is very interesting. Uh, so my point is, there's a whole scenario around Jesus' disciples are, are going around, they're healing people. There's all sorts of amazing things happening. But why weren't they able, able to help this man's son? So this guy cries out above the crowd. He says, they weren't, you know, he needs help. This is what happens. Your disciples weren't able to take care of it. And in verse 41, Jesus said, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear with you? Bring your son here. Wow, ouch. Why did he say that? Who is he saying that to? Who's he speaking to? I think he's speaking to the disciples. I think he's speaking to the crowd in front of him. I think he's speaking to the entire generation of of people in Israel who aren't understanding who he is yet. Who he said it multiple times in many forms and they're still missing it. They're still looking to his hand and not to his face. They're still wanting to get what they want out of him without acknowledging him and bowing down to him as the Savior. He speaks to the disciples because They didn't have the faith to help these folks. How can I say that? Well, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 and 20 is is the parallel passage where it describes the same scene with a little bit more detail. And it says, the disciples, after this whole scenario with his dad and Jesus healing this kid, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith, ouch. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. Okay. If you just absorb for a second what Jesus just said, it's incredible. Jesus is literally saying, and he's teaching his, his disciples uh, and these apostles here. I don't think it's just for them. If you, if you extrapolate this out to Jesus' teaching and his other words about the church and the Holy Spirit, there's men, this, is, this is teaching for all of us. For the church of Jesus all through history from there on out. These guys were being obedient and stepping out in faith and they were experiencing some amazing stuff for sure, but it wasn't perfect and apparently there was room for more faith and this is where my little encouraging moment in the disciples failure doesn't start to feel so good but I've spoken with some people I want to I want to take a minute with this um, to bring some maybe some context or some balance because if you read this it's intense and amazing but I've also spoken with I remember speaking with a woman who was in a uh, a church that her, I think her husband, it was, had cancer. Um, and they were praying for his healing and praying for his healing. And he ended up passing away. And one of the sort of subtle messages she got from people around her in her church was that if she had had more faith, that it would have been different. And can you imagine how that affects a person? And the way that she absorbed that and the guilt and the sense that it's up to me, that I have to do this work of healing, that, that it's, it's all dependent on me to do this and I'm the cause for this thing. It's really unhealthy, okay? 
Um, and it's, it also merges into this idea of like this word of faith movement. And I don't know if you've ever run across that or been a part of that, but it's, it takes this scripture or this idea and, and takes it to the place where you're saying, I originate miracles, I have the power, and I can manifest things because I'm a child of God. And I'm going to manifest this BMW right now. I'm going to manifest this front of the line moment or this backstage. Pa- oh, I, I'm, I'm trivializing it, but it's a real thing. And I just want to provide some caution around that um, because um, that is not what he's saying here. There is nothing that we do that we do apart from God. Even Jesus himself, when he was doing ministry, said, everything I do, I, I hear from the Father and then I do it, right? There's something here that is really challenging and inspired. Um, but we have to be careful of, of, of taking too much agency in what he's saying and not recognizing that he's God and we are not. That being said, Jesus is very clear that in this particular case with this particular family, their faith isn't what it should have been. And he rebukes them and corrects them for that. That they, in fact, in that particular moment, were standing in the way of God's blessing. Ouch. A learning moment for them, for sure. In God's graciousness and his kindness and his love, even if there was a, a plug in the system and they, in, in that moment, any plumbers in the, in the room? If you plug up water in one place, it's going to find its way out in another place. And so Jesus, uh, you know, God sovereignly brought healing to this family in another way, even though these people, these, these apostles couldn't do it the first time. But in the same way, you can err on the side of, I love that word, by the way, err, E-R-R. It's awesome. In the same way, you can err on this side and saying, I, I, get to, I just get to name stuff and I get to claim it and God will respond to me and, you know, all that side of thing. You can also err on the other side. So for those of us who tend to be very cynical, of all these types of things and steer clear of all this talk and, and activity sitting there, you know, standing there on the side, arms folded, grumpy, perhaps under the guise of wisdom or the guise of discernment. Consider what else might be behind your reactions. Consider what else might be playing into your internal dialogue when you run into or come across things like this. A guy named John Bloom wrote this. Our lightning quick and loud unbelief is not commendable. It is perverse and twisted. It robs us of more than we know. You see, I think what happens even in the church sometimes is that the culture and the strategy of the enemy in our culture, which is to minimize and push to the side all of these sort of things to the place that they're imaginary or mythical, sometimes leaks into our own hearts and we settle in for this Christianity that has a form of godliness but denies its power, that processes everything through what we can control and what we can reason and it it turns into an intellectual spiritual ascent rather than a participation in God's kingdom that's led by his spirit in the reality that we are living in a world that is both natural and spiritual. Each one of us, every person in here, every person that you meet out in the world has a dynamic around them, whether they know it or not. 
we are physical beings in bodies and we live in, in, in creation which is fallen and there's disease and there's decay and there's death and all of that. We are also all made in God's image. We are, have a spirit within us that interacts with and has the potential to, to interact with spiritual things, God and otherwise. So let us caution ourselves against settling into a faith of following a pursuit of Jesus that doesn't give room to and allow for these processes and these needs around us. Let's listen to what Jesus is saying, which again lines up with many other teachings in the Bible on the subject, is that faith, even as small of a, as a mustard seed, if of the right quality, will open up things that are not just implausible, but impossible. And that we as his followers can participate in that. So he speaks to the disciples. He also speaks to the crowd in front of him who are there for the miracles and, and they don't see who it is in front of them. He speaks to that nation of Israel who had the privilege of the Savior walking among them and mostly missed it. Paul put it well in his letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. It says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. What Jesus is saying here, he's like, in the midst of all this, you're losing sight of me. You're losing sight of me and who I am and what I'm about. It wasn't just a grumpy comment from Jesus. It wasn't like the disciples were like, ah, oh, somebody get that guy a power bar. He missed breakfast. He's a grumpy bumpy. Let's get you back on track, Jesus. No, Jesus is living with this major chasm, this disconnect between who, what he is and who, what he knows and the, his communication with the Father. And there's this distance. Everyone who's coming to him, even the people he's teaching every single day, are missing it. Next week, we're going to talk about this argument about who's the greatest. Because what's happening inside the apostles and the disciples during this time is they're seeing win after win after win after win after miracle after miracle. And they're plotting this thing on this graph in their minds and it's looking like it's exponential. And in fact, we're going to the top, baby. And that's really starting to preoccupy them. It's really starting to influence the, the ministry that they're doing and the reasons they're doing it. This is how Jesus felt. And yet these wonderful words still followed. Bring your son here. Bring your son here. Amazing. Verse 42. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. Wow. A couple words here. Rebuke. It means to chide, reprove, censure severely, to admonish or charge sharply. I sort of wish I, they wrote down Jesus' words. Like, what did he say? Like, if you really look at it, he, it never records what he actually says to the demons per se. There's a couple of little conversations that there's a, an exchange, like I am legion and all that sort of thing. But when he gets to the moment of dealing with this stuff, there's no like, I think it's because if there was, we'd all be using these things as sort of some magic formula to like. But the point is he came against it with some intensity and he had rebuked it and said, you're done here. You're done. Um, 
And he calls it an unclean spirit, which is just another way to describe a demon, not a particular grand, brand or type. There's just there's cleanness and uncleanness in, in, in the Jewish religion, and he's just naming it unclean. So um, unlike his disciples' attempt, he was instantly delivered and healed. And now let's get back to what I mentioned before about how we want to sometimes filter what we read through our own culture, our own experience, rather than allowing the, the scripture to adjust our worldview. So here we have a physical malady that Luke highlights and describes as a demon. And one that is controlling this poor kid. And I don't know exactly what brought this about in this kid's life or what moments or things played into that, but he's in this state for sure. And Jesus, if you, in that verse we just read, attributes his physical affliction to a spiritual condition. Is that in your theology? A spiritual con affliction that is due to a spiritual condition. Again, we can fall in the ditch on both sides of this road by taking things to one extreme or the other. On the one hand, everything is normal. Everything is psychological. Everything is medical. You, treatment is via discussions and medication and surgery. And that's just it. And we respond to most things that way. Or you can go on the other, other ditch, which is everything is paranormal. There's a demon under every rock. It's the spirit of this and the spirit of that. Right? Making up names for evil spirits and associating with everything. The demon of indigestion. No, you overate. Okay, it's your flesh. Some, we, we just have to be, acknowledge the flesh and the spirit, Right? involved in our lives. Let me give you some examples. They're not perfect, but I'm just trying to express this. If my household is really crazy, grumpy, and stressful on Monday morning before school and all the things, that's flesh. People are tired, right? If my household is an abnormally stressed, angry, tumultuous, on a Saturday while I'm supposed to be preparing to speak, I'm about to get into a huge argument with my wife over nothing, Spiritual. I had to learn to discern this over time <laughs> so that I wasn't resolving, trying to resolve the nothing conflict at 11.30 at night on Saturdays. If you're lying in bed and you're stressed out about a big presentation you have to do tomorrow, it's probably flesh. You're stressed out. There's anxiety, there's you know, pride, and I gotta get this right. If you come awake in the middle of the night and your room is filled with a fear that's almost palpable and there's no really reason for it, but you're just gripped with fear, that's spiritual. If you're wishing you weren't married anymore after a big argument and a stressful season with your spouse where there really wasn't much intimacy on any level, that's flesh. It's selfishness. It's hard. If you're plagued by this thought of being trapped in a relationship and you're just going to start sabotaging it every which way just to get out of it, just like the last three generations of your family have done, that's spiritual. Again, these aren't perfect examples. What I'm trying to express to you is that we live in a world where all this mixes together and we have to be conscious of it and aware of it. What's your tendency, personally, 
Do you tend to be the person who's like, oh, it's a demon. Oh, spiritual warfare. Oh, I got to, do you, do you tend to externalize everything and maybe not just recognize your own selfishness, your own flesh in the mix? Or maybe you swing to the other side and, and you tend to, to be very cynical of these things and everything can be explained away with all the normal things that we know about and can do. Never acknowledging or being willing to acknowledge something maybe supernatural, maybe spiritual at work in this particular situation. And just another reflection here in this moment when they're bringing the boy to Jesus. What happens to him? He immediately gets struck with the same thing. Have you ever felt like, okay, I'm sitting here in my dysfunction or my bondage or my sin or my brokenness, and every time I really try to move past it and go towards God, it gets worse. It gets really ugly, and I just move back to the place where I'm like, okay, fine. Anyone ever gone through that? Listen, that's actually a sign that as you come towards God with those things, there may be a fight on your hands. There may be some things that you have to push through spiritually. And then you're about to experience a breakthrough. Don't back off. Don't back down from that. Because when things get ugly, and, and, and maybe it's just the worst comes out in you. The things you do, the sin you do, the things that happen when you really try to move towards God, all of a sudden these temptations and appetites and things will flare up and you're like, oh, I'm disgusting. Actually, it's a sign that there's a battle going on and it's time to push through and get to the place where Jesus is. In fact, you may feel like I can't come to Jesus because of how disgusting this all is. In fact, he comes right into that moment. What did he do with this kid? He starts manifesting on the ground and Jesus steps right into that situation and brings him out of it and heals him instantly. So be encouraged if there's some things going on in your life that seem like they're, gonna get, they're getting worse before they get better. That's a dynamic that comes as we move towards God and have to go through some of the fight to become who he's called us to be. It says he gave him back to his father. What a moment that would have been. Again, as a parent, picking up your kid and seeing in his eyes and his face the freedom and the peace and that sparkle that he used to have and it's back. Oh, yes. He can finally live the life that he's, you know, called to live. Verse 43. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Oh man, I can only imagine just being in the crowd and watching this kid get set free, which was just on the heels of a bunch of other miracles, which was just on the heels of like me seeing Jesus revealed as who he fo- And just before that, there was like all on and on and on. And then Jesus is like Debbie Downer all of a sudden. Listen, let this sink into your heads. Like I said before, what was also happening in the midst of all this blessing and power and influence, the disciples would begin to get certain things in their heads. So when in the midst of the most incredible days of their entire lives, in fact, some of the most incredible days of all of history, Jesus says something like, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. It 
just does not compute. It doesn't compute. And he gives it that emphasis, let this sink into your ears. But rather than understanding, it brought confusion. They're like, I don't, I don't know. What do you know? I don't know. There are multiple times when Jesus is saying the same thing to them over and over and over, and we can kind of shake our heads. But have you ever been in a spot where you feel like God's saying something? You're like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what you're doing. I'm confused. I sure have. I think in this particular case, he was concealing it from them so that when he died and they were dejected and had no idea what's going on, all of a sudden the puzzle pieces, the bread trail would start to piece together and they would come back to faith because they could see, oh, oh, and it all starts to play together. So if you're in a spot where you're feeling confused spiritually and you're not sure what God is doing or saying to you, trust him. Keep going. Let's wrap it up. I have no plans to see the horror movies that I saw previews for. I don't plan on seeing any of those. I think there's enough pain and confusion and oppression here in the real world for me to process rather than exposing that to that. And uh, you may not be aware of it, but there's fairly consistently in our church, our, our leadership team, people coming to us who are experiencing demonic activity and um, some crazy spiritual stuff. We don't talk about it a lot. It's not something our church emphasizes. It's a sideshow. It's something that the enemy tries to do to take away. We want the focus here to be on Jesus. But there is a bunch of stuff going on, you guys. All the time. So I don't plan on seeing those movies, but I plan on letting the scriptures form my worldview rather than Hollywood. Can I get an amen on that? I do plan on using this story that we're reading today as a reminder about what's real and what's possible and what Jesus says uh, that he calls us to do. And it's a challenge to me, for sure, in my own life, about, how, about people that God wants to come through for and do it through me and through you. role that we are called to play in that. And like the crowd that met Jesus, it's often our own needs that come, that cause us to come to him, right? It's often our own stuff like, oh, my pain is big. I need God. And he has compassion on us and he says, come here, I'm going to help you out. I'll heal you. I'll change you. I'll redeem you. Sometimes it's our tendency to become focused just on what he can give us rather than focused on who he is. We get this idea in our heads that God is here for us rather than us being here for God to be used by him and to glorify him with our lives. And our lack of faith to stop short of all that he has and all that he is to reduce our Christianity to a shadow of what it was intended to be, to be a form of godliness while denying its power to settle into just the normal humdrum things that our faith becomes just an intellectual ascent based on systematic theology rather than a participation in the kingdom of God through his spirit to see hope come to the world. To live our lives as everyday disciples. So the thoughts we have in this room start to match and map to the thoughts we have in all the other days and all the other moments. 
in the imagery of the, the Old Testament, not to be people who just go up to the foot of Mount Sinai and let a few other people go to the top, but all of us run into the top to meet with God. Dane's message on the tabernacle, rather than us just sitting in the outer courts, letting other people do the spiritual things, let us all run into the Holy of Holies and experience what Jesus is calling all of us to, regardless of your personality, your background, your experience level. His invitation is for all of us. His words to the apostles, to the disciples, were correction. Let them be correction for you if you're in a spot where you tend to be the cynic. But they're also inspiration to say, to remind us that we are all called to move mountains. Jesus is not speaking in hyperbole. Don't let your own thoughts and your own culture and your own unbelief try to reinterpret the scriptures into something more palatable for you. He's saying something true and real. How would you live differently if you really believed that nothing would be impossible for you? I'm going to close today by, say, by doing two things. One is I want to pray for people um, who are experiencing demonic activity in their life on some level. Uh, we don't have to get super weird about that, right? Uh, but if, if you, in the midst of all this, you don't have to be ashamed of it and you don't need to explain it away, but if you're in the midst of this, you're like, yeah, I got some stuff going on and it's uncomfortable and it's spiritual and I just need some backup. I need some people around me. I, I would love to pray for you. And I, not just me, but if you could put up your hand or whatever, stand up if you want to. Uh, and we're just gonna have some people gather around you who are near you and just lay hands on you and ask God to push all that stuff back. Um, yeah, so I'll just pause there. Anybody feel like you're in that spot? I could use some prayer. I got some things going on. There's one here. And as, as hands go up, if people around them could just get up and go around them and lay hands on them, we're going to pray. So keep your hand up real quick. There's somebody back here at the back row at the top. Um, please gather around them if you would. Are we missing anybody? Here's one here. Yeah. Great. A few people. Anybody else we're missing? Okay, great. Um, yeah, we want to be led by the Spirit in this moment. So uh, just, I'm going to pray out and pray over everyone in a minute, but as you lay hands on them, if you could just be led by the Spirit and pray what, what comes to mind, uh, and then I'll, I'll join in in a second here. So feel free to just speak out each one of the groups there, just start to pray over them. And the rest of you, just continue to pray as well. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come near to us, Lord. Come to us in the middle of the struggle, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you see every person, each person here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray that the truth right now would oppose any lies. Uh, that have embedded themselves in the hearts of these people. Certain repeated phrases or certain things that they keep uh, 
pondering and hearing in the midst of their struggles, they're not true. That they are accepted by God. Uh, that he has died for their sins and that they're completely wiped clean. That they have been adopted into the kingdom of God, that they are sons and daughters. And that nothing, no power in heaven and earth could, could get in between them and God. And so we come and we do rebuke uh, anything, any, any demonic influences in their life that they would be cast out in Jesus' name, that it would be cut off. And whatever situations have led to that, that would be finished this morning in Jesus' name. You have no place here. Thank you, Lord, for setting them free. It is for freedom that Christ has set them free. So we pray that there would be peace in their minds. We pray that anything that's happening in their lives that is unsettling or filled with fear would be replaced with the peace that they know they are sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord, that your power is greater than anything else. Let your power overshadow them by your spirit now. I pray that he would even tangibly sense that shift as they come back to you, as they lean to you, as you set them free from whatever it is that's been plaguing them. I pray for healing as well. Any, any physical affliction that's been from a spiritual condition, I pray that that would be healed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If any of you were, who were praying for them um, felt like God spoke to you something on their behalf, make sure you share that with them. That's something that God does sometimes. So, yeah, be obedient in that. And as the worship team comes uh, to finish us out, I just want to challenge you uh, to invite greater faith, to allow the Lord to open up your aperture, to see more of what's real around you, and to create a willingness of faith rather than a cynicism to step into some of these things. Not in a weird way, but in a very tangible, practical way where people need help. That you would be available to them. Sound good? Sounds okay? <laughs> All right, let's worship. Stand with me. The Father said of Jesus, this is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. I'll leave you with that thought this week. And however that's translating for you and the things you're going through in this message in this moment. Listen to him. Have an awesome Sunday. One last big amen for me. Amen. Right. Have a good one. <laughs>